Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 19th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening, I'm guest host Gloria Howell. Julia Carey Wong of The Guardian reported that at least 15 states are trying to ban schools from teaching critical race theory and the 1619 Project. The reactionary movement stretches back to the 1920s and the emergence of the Ku Klux Klan. Since his election, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has opposed education practices that he argues take an unduly critical view of Americans' history and its relationship to race. Last year, DeSantis prohibited educators from teaching critical race theory in K through 12 classrooms. Part of a bill he said will put an end to corporate and educational indoctrination in Florida. While the battle to reverse these initiatives is being carried out legislatively and in the judicial system, one way to counteract this is by way of celebrating and enhancing black cultural centers on college campuses. As a student activist, a longtime faculty member, and an administrator in higher education, Dr. Charlie Nelms is particularly proud of two career accomplishments. Uh, the first being that uh, 50 years ago at Earlham, a small Quaker liberal arts college, he helped re- repurpose a college-owned house into a Black culture center. And the second was 25 years ago at Indiana University, where he helped a large public research university construct a new Black culture center aptly named the Neil Marshall Black Culture Center. As current director of the Neil Marshall Black Culture Center, I am honored to take part in this interview with Dr. Charlie Nelms, former vice president for diversity, equity, and multicultural affairs, and also joining us today, Frank Motley, former assistant dean at Indiana University. Gentlemen, welcome to Bring It On. Good to be here. Thank you. Great to be here. Great to be with each of you, but especially Frank Motley. All right, and this tender moment was brought to you by. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I wanted to start off by saying is uh, you may have heard the the name Neil Marshall Black Culture Center. Uh, it's, it is named after Indiana University's first African-American graduate, Marcellus Neal, and this was back in 1895. And then uh, also Francis Marshall, who graduated with a degree from Indiana University in 1919. And both individuals are so honored by the naming of this facility, which with its origins, it was informally uh, a dilapidated sorority house, which was renovated to the beautiful structure that is on campus now. Uh, Given that, um, I am so honored also to have all three of you here uh, with your ties to the Neil Marshall Black Culture Center. So let's just talk briefly to to the rights efforts to undo history. And there's something about when someone tries to whitewash history. Not only is it an affront and a slap in the face of, of that uh, group or community that is being targeted, but it really shows the ignorance of our country. And Dr. Nelms, do you have a thought on that? Yes, I have a thought. Not only uh, does it uh, display the ignorance of our country, but it also uh, is a continuing reminder of the racism that is uh, uh, part of the DNA of this country. Uh, uh, I, I guess we mustn't uh, forget 
that Ron DeSantis is not uh, uh, not the only one singing this song, okay? Is um, uh, uh, Gloria, Dr. Howell indicated earlier, some 19 states uh, are, have passed or are considering legislation that would undo or revise history. And uh, just as the Jews have not allowed the world to forget about the Jewish uh, uh, people's experience, we mustn't uh, allow that to happen in case in the, in the instance of black people, indigenous people, uh, and especially indigenous and black people in this country. So, you know, I'm not surprised and none of us should be surprised. And if we are surprised, we need to go back to school. Uh, Dr. Motley, any thoughts on that? Uh, as Charlie said, I don't think we should be surprised. I mean, it, it, this is, has been a white country and with white values and lots of white space. And obviously, as we have a changing demographics uh, at, in 2050, it will be a majority-minority nation. And uh, there is this pushback, this fear of a, of a multicultural society. And uh, you, you, one might be surprised that people are, re- are reacting to that, but I think that's the fear of the, the kind of nation, multicultural nation we're becoming. So just before the darkest hours before the dawn, part of it is we're going to come to a new age where this country will be much, much more egalitarian than it is now. And the throes of, you know, the autocracy uh, are there. And on one hand, we shouldn't be surprised, but it does surprise us because we would think people would be uh, embracing our future, uh, a more harmonious future versus trying to quote, stir up some trouble. But, uh, you know, we, we've always loved myths. We start out with uh, with myths. And this is the most mythical country in the world. Uh, and our, our, you know, from the, the from manifest destiny as a justification for genocide. I mean, we, we do, we've done that throughout the history. This is just a new phase of an old uh, trope. Uh, so, I mean, we we have to fight the same battles every day. And, you know, some of us get tired, but it, it is not a new battle. It's the same yeah. battle. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I would like to say uh, to what Frank, uh, add to what Frank just said is, is that I think that, I mean, there's a lesson. The most important lesson for us is, is uh, the fact that the battle is never won. We have to continually, uh, every day, keep on fighting. And we don't have the luxury of being tired. I mean, we just simply don't. Now, do I get, uh, 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 <laughs> Concern? Yes, I am concerned, but I'm not going to allow uh, uh, the far right uh, to um, to um, um, cause me to resist. Resistance is just a part of the black uh, experience in this in this nation. And if anything, the takeaway is is that we need to uh, we need to work harder uh, and more smarter in our resistive uh, efforts. You know, one thing that uh, I read. Go ahead. But one of the issues is that you know we 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 think we we win a battle and 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 we forget we're still in the war. I mean, the election of Barack Obama brought on this notion of a post-racial America. We, for a brief moment, there thought we had arrived at a point, at an inflection point, as they call it. And uh, it was, you know, we, you know, the election, and uh, you know, and, and you know following Barack Obama, you know, made us realize that we hadn't reached that inflection point and that we were pretty much where we were before his election. And yeah. it's just, uh, you know, that's the thing. You think you, you think you've made progress and 
instead of two steps up, you've been a step back. And that's what this past four years or past six years uh, yeah. taught us. Yeah. But I think Charles, extent, right. You, you have to keep fighting. You have to keep fighting. Right. The extent that I see the uh, right going, um, trying to infiltrate local school boards to get at that level, to get in at that level, to disrupt the curriculum being taught and um, high schools, junior high schools, all through, throughout the, um, the, uh, the, the, the school corporation. And it's embarrassing, And but I'm encouraged that in this recent um, election a couple of weeks ago, they lost a lot of gains that they had had. And, and now the use of threat or, or threat of violence to keep people away from the voting booth, uh, we're seeing a resurgence of that. And then some of the... Um, some of the language used by a former president as he's out on his campaign. Um, I don't know. It, it's yes, I agree. The fight is not over, uh, but it's going to test the metal of our country and other countries are watching. So, Gloria, did you want to chime in? Yeah, Clarence, you mentioned um, the elections and school boards. And I was reading an article um, by a good friend of mine, Dr. Felton Cortez Moss, and we're going to talk about uh, Charlie's article in, in diverse issues later, but um, Cortez and I went to school together um, at Ole Miss in, in Mississippi, and he was very involved in, in political movements and um, now as a faculty member. And I thought this article that he read or that he penned was pretty timely considering our conversation today, but it's called From Classrooms to Ballots, Unpacking the, significant, the Significance of School Boards in the 2024 Elections. And in the article, he says that in the upcoming 2024 election, more than 20,000 school board seats will be up for grabs, coinciding with the presidential race. And he says, alarmingly, a substantial percentage of, percentage of these seats are expected to remain uncontested, ranging from 25 to 50 percent. Um, and he goes on to say this concerning trend underscores the urgent need for us to recruit quality candidates to run for school boards. And so um, I wanted to to get Charlie and Frank's thoughts about how do we mobilize folks, particularly um, folks that are invested in Black education, um, especially in, in small towns like where we are in Bloomington. Um, what's the magic sauce, if there's any magic sauce, for getting um, Black folks invested in these types of, and not even just running for office, but being informed about what's happening on our local level? Well, you know, I, I, I think the first thing is, is to help people to appreciate the fact that there's no such thing as a major election and a minor election. Every election is a major election. OK. And uh, whether it's a school board election, city council, county commissioner, uh, state legislature. But in, 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 in the black community, it seems that we focus disproportionately on the national election. That is the election of a president. OK. We tend not to be, it seems to me, as attentive to even uh, uh, the congressional races, okay? So I think the first uh, step, uh, Gloria, is to help voters to understand that there's no such thing as a major election and a minor election. Secondly, is to help people to really understand and appreciate that all politics, uh, uh, all politics are, is local, you know? They're all local, Okay. And I can't think of anything more important and more local than a school board election. And as someone who served on the school board in three urban communities, I know full well the importance of, of school board elections. 
And so I think the first task is really to try to educate voters, okay? Secondly, is to energize voters, energize them to the point that they're not only registered to vote, but they vote, okay? And the third one is to actually engage voters in a continuing kind of way beyond having cast a vote. Attending school board meetings is 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 a, is the best example that I can think of in terms of engaging. So educate, energize, and uh, 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 and engage. Those are the three steps that I think are really important for making sure that we're continually uh, uh, in, in engaged. Yeah, I, I think that the, you know, there's a phenomenon that people basically trust. The, the government, they trust the leadership, they trust the people who are in charge. And so it's not that people aren't interested in what happens in the school board. It's just that generally by this time, you've got a group of people who have committed to the school board interested and you just trust them to run, to run things. And then something happens to, to bring to their attention that there's a, that there's an issue or a problem that they're concerned about, that there's need to be more involvement. And that awareness comes slowly often. And uh, I think that's what we have now is that people don't usually think about of the school board and, and then all of a sudden the right starts to take it over and then they begin there's a, there's a need to mobilize people and as Charlie suggested it's you have to educate them uh, and, and you know you have to sound the alarm and you know as soon as you sound the alarm people think you're, you're throwing the race card or you're being alarmist or whatever it may be and you got to fight against that you know it is alarming times you know this is a, an election for all posterity and uh we we may have to approach it that way, you know, and and that's just counter to how we normally think of things. We think of the people running things are pretty much in charge, and they know what's going on. And it takes a while for you to begin to to understand that the you know the the train's a little off the track, and we got to get back on. You know, I don't know who it was, but some uh, person I don't remember who it was who said that if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Okay, so. <laughs> You, it is it, it is to our advantage to make sure that we are at the table, because whether we are on the menu uh, or not, we're on the menu. Okay, and the best people to represent our interests, I believe, are people who look like us, who have had similar experiences as ours, and even in instance, in some instances, those people betray us. Okay. But even so, I think that uh, uh, that we have to make sure that the representation on the school board <clears throat> is reflective of the makeup of the student body. Okay, we need to make sure that the teacher and the administrative workforce of schools uh, 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 reflect uh, the community, and then, of course, we need to make sure that uh, the curriculum is reflective of that which is needed in order to educate young people to live and to lead in an increasingly global and diverse uh, uh, world. Well, if you've just joined us here on Bring It On, we're having uh, an insightful conversation with Dr. Charlie Nelms, former Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Multicultural Affairs and Dr. Frank Motley, former assistant dean at Indiana University. Uh, we want to thank them. They're joining us to talk about, one, the far right's effort to whitewash African-American history. And, and now I want to segue into the ways in which the Black Culture Center is on 
on campuses throughout America. And at last estimated count, about 200 of, of so many different centers are on campus. And I want to turn this question to uh, Gloria, uh, who is the current director of the No Marshall Black Culture Center. <clears throat> this month in November, from the 9th through the 12th, I use No Marshall Black Culture Center hosted the 2023 Association for Black Culture Centers uh, conference. And can you report out as to how that went this year? Sure. Um, it went really well. We were very pleased with um, the outcome of the conference. We got a lot of good um, feedback, and it was really good to have um, about 35 culture centers or um, entities represented because everybody who attended didn't represent a cultural center. We had um, a few folks that were um, community members. We had some um, people from like tech companies that could support um, culture centers. So a very diverse um, group present. And I think that um, folks are really excited to come to Indiana University because of the history of um, not just the Black Culture Center, but just Black presence on campus in general and in the community. So this was, um, I think, just prime time for us to showcase um, Black excellence on campus and in the in the city of Bloomington. Um, and I think from my own personal experience, I've been very reflective um, of the conference and it has just shown me how fortunate we are to have our space, both literally and figuratively, um, being the Black Culture Center. A lot of the, the um, my colleagues that came um, to the conference don't have the space that we have. Um, and again, that's both physically and, and, and physical space and uh, figurative space. Um, so they're they're looking for advocates. They're looking for folks who can speak on their behalf. And I think um, that's when we think about sustaining these these spaces. And that's one of that was our theme for the conference. Um, a story to tell sustaining black culture centers through arts, archives and activism. And so when we think about sustainability, I think the advocacy piece is so important, considering all the things that we've mentioned earlier in this conversation today. Um, black culture centers are a part of, you know, there are some people who would like for Black culture centers and other culture centers to not exist. Um, we know that. And that that's actually nothing new either um, to Frank's point earlier about this multicultural, like kind of pluralistic society that folks want to kind of move toward without um, explicitly moving toward. Um, but it, it's definitely something something that's happening. So I think this was a good opportunity for us as centers to be reaffirmed in our work um, for students who um who are invested in, you know, making their experiences um, fruitful and enha enhancing the experiences of others. I think the Culture Center Conference really did what it was supposed to do um, in that regard. So overall, I think it was pretty successful. Oh, that's excellent. That's excellent. Uh, Dr. Nelms, you wrote, you wrote a, a piece for um, diverse issues in higher education, and you specifically talked about Black culture centers are more than bricks and mortar. Um, and we want to kind of shift towards that in your opinions <clears throat> on this dynamic of the Black culture center. Uh, IU has a rich history and so do other institutions. And we, we introduced you as one who was instrumental in Earlham College uh, and sort of getting them on the right track. But can you talk a little bit about some of the points you brought out in that article? Well, you know, Clarence, first of all, I want to give a shout out to Gloria Howell and her staff. They did an absolutely superb job 
in planning and executing uh, one of the best uh, conferences that I've attended. And I've attended a lot of conferences over my 50 plus year uh, career in higher education. So Gloria, thank you all so very, very much for the pre-conference uh, engagement that you provided for participants, as well as uh, uh, the general conference and for having Dr. Lori Patton uh, as the keynote speaker, as a graduate of Indiana University, that was just really special. Uh, and to have her be cited more than 14,000 times, her research being cited. So that was just really special. So, so Clarence, I, you know, I, you know, predominantly white universities, despite universities, despite all of their efforts and all of their, their rhetoric about, <laughs> about diversity, inclusion, and belonging, at the end of the day, they're not particularly um, uh, uh, welcoming in place for the other. And the other would be people who look like us, as well as many people who do not look like us. They're not as welcoming as they profess to be. And so the Black Culture Center, I want to talk about the Black Culture Center, not all of the others, they're important, but the Black Culture Center is really important in terms of, of, of affirming, okay, uh, uh, the Black person's culture, history, and significance in a uh, in an increasingly divisive kind of culture. And uh, so that's what I think is really, really most important when I talk about Black Culture Centers being more than bricks and mortar. It is the programming, yes, but it's also just being in the presence of people who look like you, who talk like you, who sound like you, who who uh, who ache and pain like you. Okay, there's just something affirming about that. Okay, without without um, um, feeling the need to prove anything to anybody. Okay, and uh, and so that's what I see, and I couldn't find the words to really express what I just said. Okay. But I think that's truly the essence of Black culture centers, okay? They're a haven, they're a respite, okay, uh, uh, from the storm, uh, uh, from the lack of recognition and acknowledgement on the part of a majority culture. Um, so uh, I will go to my grave believing in the significance of Black culture centers. Yeah, I think the... I mean, there are lots of ways of approaching this. I think one of the issues is why are they on campuses? And one could look at this, if this was a whole new campus and you were setting it up, would you institute a Black cultural center? But more important to me is that the fact that we have had one here and there was a reason for it being here. And it, the reason was it, it fit a need, a student need. And I think an institution like Indiana University and other institutions are designed to fit the students' needs. And this, with all the institutions Indiana has here, that there was a need for a Black culture center, and it's here. Uh, I think that's very important that that, that, that that is one here. And then when you analyze it, then you say how effective has it been or how effective is it? But the other thing is I think universities have to start off from a one size doesn't fit all. I mean, they're trying to bring in this new multi, put them all in one multicultural center. And I don't think that that's necessarily wrong. It's just, it may not be for this campus. There may be some campus where one multicultural center is appropriate, but a place like Bloomington with the history and tradition, I don't think it would be, would fit here. So in this whole Indiana University complex system, campuses, 
then there may be some campuses that would have just one multicultural center, but some that I think would have a black cultural center, Hispanic cultural center, Asian cultural center. So I think you have to focus on the campus and what its needs are. The other thing is that need comes from whether, whether the energy that's there. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense to have a multicultural center if you have no energy in it. And so uh, you have energy in the black cultural center, you have participation, you have programming. It was strange to me to try to water that down. And as, as we all know, one of the tactics uh, against in opposition is to divide and conquer. And if setting up a multicultural center would water down all the interest in the particular ethnicity, uh, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be a positive result. Uh, if it would sometimes if there was some some synergism from joining together, then that would be good. But if if to do so would water that down, so I think you also have to look at not only that one size doesn't fit all, but what is the need and where is the energy and where is the population. And I think if you do that at Indiana University of Bloomington, you'll see that there's a great need for the historically Black Cultural Center, and that there's a reason to keep it separate from from the others. I wouldn't say that's true everywhere, but I think this unique history of here at Bloomington uh, would, would justify it. Yeah, I, I would agree with you, Frank. And one of the things that that I would say is is that the the, the, the the black faculty and staff and students of Indiana University and alumni of Indiana University really need to assume a much more active posture. Okay of advocacy and support for the Black Culture Center and not just take it for granted. And I think too many people sort of take it for granted. And uh, so if they ever get to the point where they want to get rid of the Black Culture Center or to come up with an amalgamated kind of center of some kind, then what I'm going to say is, are you going to in, are you going to in, in incorporate the International Center in that? Okay? Are you going to incorporate the Women's Center in that? Are you going to incorporate all of these other centers and institutes, okay? And uh, and, and so you can't, you know, either you, you're for a different kind of approach or you're not for it. And I can't imagine a situation where Indiana University, uh, which just built this massive uh, international center on the, on the corner of 7th and Eagleson, will end up saying, no, we don't need that center, okay? And, and I'd be darned if I'm going to be silent, okay, if there's an attempt to undo the, the, the Neil Marshall Black Culture Center. At one point, as I mentioned, there was an effort underway to remove the library out of that Black Culture Center, but there was enough of a um, resistance where they, they quickly left that issue alone. Um, you know, it's... The heart of any culture center is the place where you can go and learn about the culture and, and, and do the research. And, and that's so important to maintain. And, and Gloria, from your posture as director, uh, what unique programs have you implemented to embrace, enhance, challenge, stimulate uh, not only Black students, but students of all colors and hues? Um, lots of things, I would say. We, um, in the center, obviously we have, and I think you so eloquently just stated our, um, our mission and, and what we're about. Um, our priority one is, is obviously academic, um, success. Students come to college to graduate, period. Um, and I make that very clear to Black students that, that come into our building, um, whether they're working in our office or, wherever that, you know, your priority is to, is to persist. And so these are the things that we do are to help you persist. Right. Um, and so one of the things that we have, and, and 
for us, that persistence starts with the recruitment, right? So all these things, we can't wait until students get to senior year and, and worry about them persisting. So um, when we, at the beginning of the year, when I'm sending out information to first year students and, and their families, um, I'm telling them about um, first year initiatives. So one being the No Marshall Leadership Academy, which um, started under the director who was before me, Monica Johnson, in 2016. And since then, we've um, kind of elevated the program in ways that will incorporate uh, Black IU history. So um, it's a, a year-long initiative. It started out for first-year students, but um, right after uh, the pandemic, we decided that we needed to do it for second-year students as well because those students didn't have a freshman year. And so um, now we, it is, we, I think we actually have more second year students in the program because we were also noticing that there was a, there were missing touch points with sophomores and junior students in particular. Um, and so the, the Leadership Academy is um, an initiative where students, um, they meet monthly and it's run by one of my graduate student um, employees and they have a curriculum. It, it's a, a strong um, curriculum that's based on leadership development so they're talking about leadership from a cultural perspective. So um, what, how do you find a mentor? You know, what are some things that you should look for in a mentor? How do you um, propel yourself for or prepare yourself for life after IU um, going into your career and things like that? Um, the, the unique thing that we've added um, in the past three years is that we started naming our classes. And so one of the things that I often get from students, because we're, we're constantly talking to them about some of the folks that Charlie and, and Frank and you as well, Clarence, have um, got to know, like the Herman Hudson's, um, the Laverta Terry's, the Jimmy Ross's of the world. And so they're asking, I've had students that have asked, you know, why don't you just teach a class on Black IU? Why don't we? And that's still something that I think the Black Studies Department should should um, take on. But they're always asking about these people because we throw their names out so often. And so one of the the ways that we thought we could kind of hit students as soon as they come in with learning about these these individuals is um naming the classes after them. So the first class was named after Carmel Russell, who was the first director of the Black Culture Center. Second class was Keith Parker, who was the second Black person to win student body president in IU history um, this year. And then we had uh, Camilla Williams, who's first uh, Black faculty member in Jacobs School of Music. This year, we have Denver Smith um, as we commemorate the 40th anniversary of Denver Smith's death, who was an IU student, IU football player who was killed by police um, 40 years ago. And so the students learn about these people as part of the curriculum. And that's one way um, that we kind of build, you know, the idea that they should know about their ancestors, but not just know about them to know about them, but think about legacy in, within that. Because um, we talk about the past quite a bit and um, Frank and Charlie, know, you all know my staff. Um, they love to talk about the used to be's and the what we <laughs> did before, which is very important. And there's a place for that. But I told them we have to contextualize these things in ways forward for students. So how are we think? how do they find their legacy um, and build their legacy and all of that? So that's a big program that we're trying to, um, we were actually invited to make that into a course um, this past fall. So we're hoping that for this upcoming fall, that the Leadership Academy can be um, a course credit for students um, that come through the, the Black Culture Center. So um, that's one of our big programs that we do. Um, another one that I think we, you mentioned the library, um, Clarence and, and 
Sadly, um, I do think like uh, Charlie mentioned about the brick and mortar, you know, these spaces not being just brick and mortar. And um, we have a, an affinity for the library space in general, but especially the Neil Marshall Library. And so um, there were some talks about um, digitizing a lot of the things in the library, which didn't make a lot of people happy. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of talk about decreasing the amount of space because there's this idea that students are getting everything online, which I also beg to differ, but um, decreasing, you know, taking out shelves and all those different things. And so, um, but, but on the, on the flip side of that is um, when we go into the black culture center library, um, very seldom do you see more black students than white students. Um, and so that is something that we have been working with Miss D, who is the, the librarian, um, trying to work with her to increase use of the library. And there's ways that we've, you know, we've actually asked students, like, why do you, what do you look for in the library? You know, you go to Wells, what is it about Wells that makes you go to Wells? And they're like, oh, most of the time it's food um, or, you know, access to a vending machines. So, you know, we have We've started having, you know, a snack area in Bridgewater's Lounge. So we've encouraged the MPHC organizations, the student orgs, to do their study tables in the library instead of going elsewhere. And that has that has helped quite a bit, um, bringing more people into the into the library. We have a, a um, initiative called Books and Brunch where we read a, a book and the students discuss the book and they do it in the library. So I think it's just something about being in that particular space. And we know for the Black Culture Center place and space is incredibly important um, when we talk about belonging. And so the library is a place that we do that. So those are just a couple of things um, that we have been building upon to not just help our space and our students, but the spaces within our space, like the Black Culture Center library. Well, I think the issue that uh, Black Culture Centers are beyond brick and mortar, you don't want to lose the baby with the bath. I mean, you know, the bricks and mortar are important. I mean, when you visit the campus, uh, I don't know about Earlham, but you visit a lot of college campuses and you walk around the campus and you see nothing that says black people were here, are here, or could be here. Uh, and that's not true at Bloomington, IU Bloomington. And you come to the Black Cultural Center, there is enough uh, paintings, photography, uh, sculptures uh, that tell you this is a place that Black people are and have been. Uh, photographs of some of those old names and also there's a sense that you belong. And if you're from Gary or from Evansville and you come to the IU campus, there is a place on campus if you're Black that you feel comfortable. And bricks and mortar d does make a difference. Otherwise you go around and see all these stone marble statues of people that look nothing like you. So I think the bricks and mortar are very important symbolically and emotionally uh, for people. When the alumni come back and walk through those the, 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 the Black Culture Center and see pictures of people who were teachers and their friends and, and all, I think it's a sense of homecoming, a sense of I belong here. And I, I, I think that's no small moment. Uh, I think that could get lost in the sauce uh, when you think everything can be put online, and, and, and that's not the case. I think just going in the, the Black Cultural Center Library and looking at the periodicals that are displayed and taking a few minutes looking through them, you know, that's just, uh, I mean, invaluable. I mean, and that's that's, that's important. Uh, so I hope yeah. you keep keep that library and, 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 and keep it, the facility as beautiful and nice as it has been and all the 
paintings and statues and all that are there. And I know on the second or third floor, there are a lot of Panhellenic things that I know is important to a lot of people on campus. So, so Frank, I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. And one of the things that we need to make sure that we do, and that is to give support to the Black Culture Center by attending events and encouraging others to do the same. Um, uh, that's really, really important. So they're brick and mortar, but they're really more than that. But that's not to suggest that the brick and mortar uh, 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 aspects are unimportant. Uh, I mean, when I walk through the uh, the the, the panel space on the second floor, I think it is, or those plots out there, they're not called plots, the, uh, the uh, what did they call, Gloria, uh, outside of the Black Culture Center? The, the NPHC markers. Yeah, the NPHC markers. I mean, it's just a point of pride. It's an opportunity to snap a photo and so on and so forth. And uh, and when my friends come to visit, I, you know, that's one of the places I take them to, you know. And I take them to the Black Culture Center, you know. And I, I point to that sign up there in your office, Gloria, that talks about Black votes matter or whatever, you know. And uh, that's that's really that's really important. So we have to take the kind of ownership of the Black Culture Center as seniors and as alumni and supporters of of, of Indiana University that others take of their uh, of their of their experiences as well. So um, look forward to continuing to be engaged uh, to the extent uh, every extent possible. Yeah. Thank you, Charlie. I just wanted to something that you said prompted me to think about. Um, when you said ownership of the experience, because one of the things I'm constantly talking to um, faculty and staff administrators, particularly as we think about the vision 2030, that has been kind of the talk of the town with, with the campus um, and how we're moving forward for the, um, for 2030 is the idea of the IU experience and everybody there's been conversation among these groups that I'm in where people talk about, we want students to have the ultimate IU experience and I constantly have to be the person in the room to bust everybody's bubble and say that the IU experience looks different for yeah. for all students, particularly marginalized students, particularly Black students. And so um, there's this constant talk about how do we make, how, what do we give students so that they have this ultimate mm-hmm. IU experience? And and from where I sit, that's the cultural center, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and that's, you know, the MPHC or Black student organizations or the Neil Marshall Library, like those quintessential um, unapologetically Black entities um, that have literally like stood the test of time since they've been established on our campus, the Arts Institute, um, the Black Studies program, like all of these things. If students don't have that, you know, what is their what is their IU experience if they don't have those things um, or Black faculty and staff? that they're seeing on a daily basis. And so um, when we talk about ownership of the experience, because I think our our students, particularly student leaders, they get discouraged a bit because they're like, oh, you know, we don't have this and we don't have that. And I'm like, you you can own your experience. You actually do have all of these things. Like I, I can't tell you how many students that I run into that they've never had a Black faculty member at IU, you know, and I'm like, have you been over to Black Studies or have you, you know, the, these folks are around. Um, so when we talk about ownership of the experience, I don't think it's pie in the sky, contrary to, to what some would would say, just because we're Black at a PWI, I think you can still have your experience in the Black Culture Center, I think represents that possibility for, for Black students. 
the voice you just heard was Gloria Howe. She is the director of the Neil Marshall Black Culture Center. Joining us also, uh, we have Dr. Charlie Nelms, former vice president for diversity, equity, and multicultural affairs, and uh, Dr. Frank Motley, former assistant dean at Indiana University. We're here talking about, at this point, in juncture in our conversation, uh, the value of a Black Culture Center and how the presence of a Black Culture Center counteracts some of the initiatives to whitewash Black history, as absurd as, as that sounds, uh, it is ongoing. Uh, Dr. Nelms, in your article that Black culture centers are more than just brick and mortar, you did mention that first culture centers serve as a home away from home for Black students, many of whom are the first in their family to attend college. Second, culture centers supply culturally relevant and ethnically affirming programming for members of the campus community as well as those beyond the campus boundaries. And then third, well, third, you said culture centers serve as propagators and stewards of Black history and cultural traditions of African Americans. And then finally, fourth, Black culture centers serve as venues for students to interact across racial, ethnic, and geographical boundaries. Um, and in my travels, I when I went to Cincinnati, and I always make a point every couple of years to go by the National Underground uh, Railroad Freedom Center. Uh, it's a phenomenal place for those that have never been there. After you visit the Mill Marshall Black Culture Center, plan a trip to this Freedom Center in Cincinnati. One of the remarkable things uh, that I like about the center, as well as all the beautiful um, uh, collections and storytelling that goes on, on the fourth floor, there is a genealogical institute. And you talk about a value add. Uh, that would be phenomenal if our, our Neil Marshall Black Culture Center could um, develop such a service, such a value add for students. Uh, I always contended that if we knew from whence we came, our whole outlook on our own lives may, may be different. It may be in your immediate family, you may not have uh, those exemplars that we all hope we would have, but somewhere in your trees, sort of say, there's someone that you could try to emulate or you could take uh, some type of homage in the way they live their life. So I just open that up to all three of you with, with such unique programming as that set us apart. Uh, one, we, we hosted this national conference uh, they, they value uh, the importance of the No Marshall Black Culture Center. Uh, maybe taking it a step further, do a bold initiative, uh, such as a genealogical institute. And, and that's just what I, I throw out. Anyone that wants to comment on that, feel free. Well, that sounds like a great idea. Uh, you know, it, you know a part, it seems like a great idea in general, much less specifically at the Black Culture Center, if that could be incorporated. I think that's the kind of thing that would, Again, it's programming, and it would be an interesting program. I think the students and, and, and alumni and, 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 and uh, graduate students particularly would, would find it very, very, and very helpful. Yeah. And I would, I would agree with Frank. And I think the extent to which it would be viable and sustainable would mean connecting it to an academic unit in some kind of way. Okay. And that unit, in my view, would be the African-American, African Diaspora Studies uh, Department. Um, uh, the second piece of it, though, is to make sure that we have a uh, funding source so it's not a project that's going to go away after a year or two. And I think that's something that Black alums and retirees of Indiana University could help to establish uh, uh, an, endow an endowment, for example, and that's one of the crazy notions that I have, and that is, is that we as retirees and alums of Indiana University, 
would move toward the establishment of an endowment for the Neil Marshall Black Culture Center. So we're not uh, uh, dependent upon uh, the funding provided by the university. And I doubt if the budget has changed that dramatically, uh, substantially for the Black Culture Center in the last uh, decade or so, okay? Or two decades for that matter. <laughs> so, uh, And so having an endowment, I think is really, really important. And that is one of the things that I think that we should explore with uh, Dr. Howell, as well as uh, the uh, the provost of the campus, the vice president for uh, diversity and equity, as well as the Indiana University Foundation. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would that. agree. Hmm. Yep. I second that. Yeah. Same here. We want people to invest in, in experiences for students. Um, I tell folks that somebody from the South who lives in the Midwest and, and most of the students that I interface with are, are um, Indiana or Midwestern students. But a lot of students have not been outside of Indianapolis, haven't been, si- been outside of, of the state of Indiana. And, and when I talk to them about different experiences, um, like during the conference, for instance, we had, um, we did a, a, a film screening to show the film Teal and we had the writer of the film with us as well as a relative of, of Emmett Teal and when I was you know introducing this to students it's amazing how many of them did not know what I was talking about um, had never heard of Emmett Teal didn't know anything about you know the move how the movement started in, in that regard and it's, it's not that they don't want to know it's just they haven't been exposed and so I think that um, when folks kind of in, invest and and that's dollars and cents um, as well as wisdom um, or time, talent, treasures, as they say, um, when they invest those things, that's when we invest in students having exposure to particular experiences, it just opens their worldview and they're able to go out and be, you know, productive contributors to, to the society in which we live. So when we think about the, the after IU, right, and, and how they're um, how they're impacting the world around them. I think our students could benefit from from your what you mentioned, um, Clarence, the genealogical institute, or you know, traveling abroad, or not even abroad. Like we we can start in the in the U.S. Um, just taking a a trip to the South, you know, to Mississippi, Alabama, um, Tennessee. Like going to visit an HBCU campus. I have students all the time that want to recreate HBCU experiences that they've never themselves been a part of. And so we talk about, you know, what does it mean to honor experiences that, you know, we we can learn from these institutions, but, you know, do you really know why these things happen at HBCUs? Like what what has to happen to facilitate those experiences? So I think all of all of those, the Genealogical Institute and several other um, experiences for students could be just monumental. I want to make two points, uh, and one is that uh, uh, one of my mantras recently is, you know what you know, <laughs> and, and what you don't know, you don't know. I, I taught a cl- class recently, and one of my questions for my students was, who is Adam Herbert, and uh, who was Mike Davis, both of whom the students had no idea who they were. And, and not that they should know, but the fact that Indiana University had a black president of the university at one point is something that you sort of think that they might know, uh, but I, but one understands that they don't. And so you know what you know. Uh, and I, I mentioned that to say that one of the things Charlie did uh, when he was uh, in office at the campus was to create a program getting students to go to Africa. 
and a number of students through through, through the the office went to to Africa. And I don't know if that's still going on, but I'd like to encourage or make sure that that is still going on through the department. That there are students who get those kind of experiences, not just at HBCUs or at Midwestern campuses, but they get a chance to see the motherland. And I think that was a a wonderful thing that, that that was done and I hope that it continues. The other thing I want to point out is that I'm always surprised. I mean there's a there's a mixed feeling you have when you go to a, a, a an event at the Black Cultural Center, especially by some of the Arts Institute, when most of the performers were white. <laughs> there's a there's a moment you say, wait just a minute. And on one hand you say, what's going on? On the other hand, to have these white kids be involved in black culture is a wonderful thing. And I think that that is an important thing that the Black Cultural Center isn't just for black people. It's for the campus and the white students benefit from having a black cultural center. And that shouldn't be lost when people start talking about what's the value of a black cultural center. It has a great value for black students, but it has an equally great value for white students who find, in many cases, a home at the Black Cultural Center in terms of their being involved in the Arts Institute. So I just want to make sure that that is doesn't go without stating, in case someone gets gets it, uh, you, know, you know, gets it wrong. Or I agree, with you, I agree. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. But you know, to the extent that we have some skin in the game, okay, as funders, and to the extent that we're vested in the long term sustainability of the Black Culture Center, it makes it much more difficult for administrators and others to uh 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 to um to 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 change things in such a dramatic way that the center would lose its um its significance and so on and so forth so i mean we have a a much more authentic voice if we're investors in it and so whether it's a million dollars or a thousand dollars or a hundred dollars I think it's really important for us to be vested in the long term success and sustainability of the culture center. And I hope that those listening to this program uh, will consider being one of those investors. And Frank, perhaps you and I uh, and Clarence, as um, as longtime Indiana University employees, can be helpful to Gloria and, and her colleagues in putting together uh, an endowment of some kind, okay? Lending our voices and our names uh, and our energy uh, to making that a possibility making it a reality, not a possibility. I had a question uh, for Gloria, and um, not that, and, and please don't take it as if we're, we're all of a sudden programming you and giving you ideas on what to do, but <laughs> along the lines of the value-add, can someone from the public propose and present um, a teachable moment of sorts for the student body? And I'm thinking more... Um, we have a gentleman on that, that has a collection of Jim Crow memorabilia, and I volunteer with Liz Mitchell, who has this expanded collection of Jim Crow memorabilia, uh, to come and present that just as uh, so we never forget type of moment, uh, the absurdity of how we were depicted in society. But then again, something more positive later on. Uh, but is, is there a way that I... John Q. Public can come to Dr. Howell and say, hey, I have this burning program in my mind. Can I present? What do I do? Um, 
I'll even pay the fee of $150 to do this or whatever. <laughs> what, what are course. your thoughts on that? Of okay. course. Okay. We would love that, especially from, from community members. We're, we're very intentional with showing students that the Neil Marshall is an extension of a larger Black community. Um, and again, this is literal and figuratively. Um, historically, Black folks have operated as co- as a collective, right? We resist as, as a collective. We we do things to to build generational wealth for our larger communities, not just from a, on an individualistic basis. And I think that's what you're what you're saying is a demonstration of that um, across the board. So, if there's community members who want to, you know, come and speak to students, um, last week we had um, in preparing for the conference. I think we've seen that like just come become very clear. Um, Janetta Nelms was was in our building quite a bit as we were preparing because she was, as a retiree, was wanting to help. And so we had her packing bags and we were just talking yesterday about the student that she met because she remembered um, the student. I don't know if she mentioned to, mentioned her to you, Charlie, but Rosemary. Um, Rosemary is a sophomore at IU who instantly like gravitated um, toward Janetta and, you know, wanted to learn more about her and her experience. And, and I think students can really, um, whether it's a formal moment that, that we have, or if it's just them, you know, that's why I, I, I intentionally invite community members to different things that we have going on at the center. We, during the conference, we had a conversation with the elders that featured Beverly Callender, Anderson, Gladys Devane, Vivian Bridgewater's Gray, Al Manns, and Jim Sims to talk about Black Bloomington and part of that conversation was how the Black Culture Center is inextricably linked to the Black community, right? And we're not apart from that. You Students are at IU, but there's there's a world outside of the campus um, walls, so to speak. So I think what you said is is very, very important. And Liz Mitchell contributed to that as well, even though she's in Australia or wherever she is um, yeah, <laughs> on vacation. Uh, Costa Rica and yes. on the Maldives. She's a traveling <laughs> searcher, I tell you. Um, we have about two minutes left and enough time for everyone to go around one more time and just share with our audience something that we may not have touched on as we begin to land this plane. So Dr. Nelms, I will defer to you to go first and then uh, Dr. Motley and then we'll we end up with my co-host for the evening, uh, Dr. Gloria Howell. Thank you so much, Clarence and Gloria, for having us on this evening. And I think the most important point that I want to leave with the listening audience is this, is that we are the guardians of these uh, these uh, these entities called Black Culture Centers. And the long-term sustainability is inextricably linked to uh, our willingness to make a commitment uh, uh, to their uh, uh, their success. Yeah, well. Uh, I just would add to that, I guess, two things. One is that, uh, Gloria, I know every year I give them some money to the Black Culture Center. So I hope you're getting it. It's not much, but I hope you are getting it. But I, I don't know if you have a contact every year. There's a Neil Marshall Alumni Association. I hope you have a chance to talk with them about contributing because Charlie's point about us trying to be you know, investors is, is, is a good one. Uh, but the other thing, I guess, to our listeners, I'd like to encourage you to come visit the Cultural Center. Because I think once you come and see this wonderful structure and you come see the programming that goes on, you'll want to contribute in, in a financial way. And then, Gloria, in your, in your final remarks, can you tell us uh, where you're located and how to get in touch with you? Yeah, ditto to what has been said. Um, come and visit us at 275 North Eagleson Avenue, which the address of the Culture Center is a story in and of itself that 
folks should find interesting. And um, I encourage people to go check out the exhibit at the Monroe County History Center um, that is featuring um, information on the or artifacts about the Eagleson family, which um, our street is is named after. Um, so 275 North Eagleson Avenue um, is our, our physical location. And uh, if you're on social media, we have a pretty booming Instagram and Facebook page. So Instagram at NMBCC underscore IU and Facebook, Neil Marshall Black Culture Center. And just stop by my office. I'm there. I spend majority of my time there. So feel free to stop by and, and talk. Well, uh, on that note, our thanks to Dr. Nelms, Dr. Charlie Nelms, former Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Multicultural Affairs, and Dr. Frank Motley, former Assistant Dean at Indiana University, for joining us to discuss the far right's efforts to whitewash African-American history and the ways by which Black culture centers can counteract or negate these efforts. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. Bringing On's executive producer is yours truly, Clarence Boone. Tonight's co-anchor has been Gloria Howe. Show consultant, WFHB News Department Director is Kate Young and program engineer is Chantal LaFontaine. Original theme music was created by Jamil FM with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Clarence Boone. And I'm Gloria Howell. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.